0: listeners welcome back to the business of wellness i'm your host jacqueline london i am very thrilled to share today's guest and entire conversation with you my guest today is dr rachel goldman she's a licensed psychologist speaker and consultant specializing in health and wellness including health behavior change stress management eating behaviors and the treatment of obesity specifically she's been really in-depth in the GLP 1 conversation, and really has uh, uh, developed a unique specialty and very clear perspective that I think you're going to be fascinated by on weight management. Rachel is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at NYU Grossman School of Medicine and supervises psychiatry residents in cognitive behavioral therapy, providing didactic trainings related to the treatment of obesity. She also sees individual clients in her private practice here in New York. So I just feel like there's just so much to learn from Dr. Rachel. Rachel is a friend. She is an amazing inspiration to me. I feel like I've learned so much just from following her on social media and interacting with her in real life. She's fantastic. And I know you're gonna love this conversation. So let me know what you think, as always, by leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. And feel free to share your feedback with me by reaching out on social media. I'm at Jacqueline London RD everywhere except for TikTok, where you can find me at Jacqueline London. Enjoy this convo with Dr. Rachel. Dr. Rachel. I'm going with Dr. Rachel now. <laughs> let's do it. (laughs) We're going with Dr. Rachel now. Welcome to Business of Wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. We've tried to make this happen against all odds, but it's happening. And now, now is the perfect time to talk. We have so many things to talk about. We're mainly, mainly I want to focus today on your work with GLP ones. And we have many things to cover on that subject, but- before we get into that, we need to know a little bit about you. So you need to tell us your background, your work experience, your time I mean we have a lot of ground to cover. We got to cover your time at Bellevue, how you got into obesity medicine, tell start from the day you were born.
1: I'm just kidding. Yes. Well, I was going to say I don't think we have enough time to talk about all of that. Um maybe I should just send everybody my resume, right? Exactly. Perfect. Yes, but I'm so glad we're doing this. So thank you for having me. Um And I'm going to try to give the Cliff Notes version of of all of that. So for anybody listening that doesn't know me, um, I'm Dr. Rachel Goldman, clinical psychologist here out of or in New York City. I have a private practice, but I'm also affiliated with NYU Grossman School of Medicine. Um, I used to work at Bellevue Hospital in their obesity weight management bariatric surgery department. And since have maintained my academic affiliation and supervise psychiatry residents and also help train some psychology interns and things like that um, related to cognitive behavioral therapy, as well as providing some didactics on the treatment of obesity and things similar to what we're talking about. So um, that's the short version of what I currently do. In addition to, um, you know, speaking engagements, things like this, lots of media stuff. Um, For anyone that's listening that also may not know, I consulted on the film The Whale and had a recent conversation with Oprah, which I know we're going to talk about as well.
0: Wait, Rachel. I did not know until this moment about the whale. What was yeah. that like? Maybe I did. Now that now that you say that, that sounds really familiar. I didn't see the movie, but now I have a reason to see the movie. Yes. <laughs> so, um,
1: so as I tell people, it's not for everybody. The film, yeah. um, but it was it was such an amazing experience, actually very interesting and a, and a great experience to consult on a film. It was my first time doing anything like that. Um, and it was, it was great. The producers and director came to me very early on um, mm. in terms of getting some insight in terms of how individuals, you know, live with obesity. Um, I reviewed the screenplay before it was taped to kind of give um, some insight and change some things in terms of how the character was going to move around in the apartment. um, You know, lots of different things. So, but with consulting, you know, you, you give yeah. your input and they take it or they don't. Um, So it was, it was a really great learning experience, but also a wonderful experience. And I think it's wonderful. You know, I think Darren Aronofsky was, was wonderful to think, to include somebody like me, yes. and then right, and then I actually connected them and Brendan Fraser, the main, you know, the the lead yeah. actor in it, with individuals who have or currently are struggling with obesity. Mm-hmm. So that was really amazing. Also, we did a Zoom call with Brendan Fraser, um, the producers, myself, and patients struggling with obesity, and for Brendan Fraser just to listen. He was just listening mm-hmm. to ask questions, to really understand what it's like to have obesity. Um, and I think that is what made his character and his role, you know, so much better and and more dimensional um, because he wasn't just acting a part. He actually yeah. understood from, you know, literally from hearing firsthand from individuals. So it was, it was quite an experience. I'm, I'm glad I was able to connect him with those people. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's
0: so cool. I had no idea, but I do love what you said about that because I find this all the time. And I feel like our listeners might benefit from just hearing this reinforced, which is like consulting is it really, you, you do have such a weird position as a consultant, which is it's the best work. And it's the scariest work because you it's true. Like once your name is sort of attached to something, you feel like if you get this wrong, it's on you. But the truth is it's, it can't be like, you're only, you're not the full-time employee. (laughs) Exactly. That scenario,
1: right? Well, and it's, and it's interesting you say that because I actually hesitated being involved in the film yeah. um, from the very beginning. And then when I finally agreed to it, they offered me a credit and I said, I don't know if I want the credit yet. And right. I, and I waited to preview the film actually to decide if I, if I wanted my name attached to it versus like, mm-hmm. just like behind the scenes type of thing. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. And, and I think, you know, th- exactly what you said. Consulting is amazing work, but also scary because we don't know what is going to be taken and and what, you know, where our name is going to show up and in kind of what context.
0: Totally. Wow. Okay. All right. So let's get into, let's get into Oprah for a sec, because it, it's sort of like our weird uh, career background overlap that where we never actually got to work together on this, <laughs> but we right. do, we do have quite a few things in common with it. So tell us about your your on-stage moment with Oprah. Explain to our listeners what that was, if they haven't seen it. Although I would imagine they have seen it, because many people have seen it, Rachel, which is very exciting for you. And <sighs> you. I mean, vicariously. <laughs> I yes. Like, well, I think many people. Amazing.
1: I think many people have seen clips of yes. it. I don't think many people saw the whole. Great thing. point. Made a yeah, lot, unfortunately. Of right. Yes. yes. Um. Unfortunately, it is behind a paywall. Um. You okay. do have to become an Oprah Daily subscriber to watch the whole segment. But um, lots of clips are available out there. There's some on my Instagram feed, um, and and other ones out there as well. So another great experience, right? Um, quite quite unbelievable. And and I know Jacqueline, you and I were talking about this before. But um, I mean, I was actually on maternity leave when I got Amazing. the email, and I was like, oh, like you don't say no to to Oprah. <laughs> Um, (laughs) literally I would say you get up from a hospital bed. Yes.
0: You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of those things where you're like for our generation, like for this lifetime, this is that person that you get out of the hospital bed for. If you, like, I would be like, perhaps in labor and be like, you know, let's just (laughs) either expedite or just hold on a few minutes so that we can
1: do this. Well, it's funny you say that because I joke. What if I said no? No, a hundred percent. Right. Like what if I did? So, so yeah. So it was quite an amazing experience as well. Um, I, so, so what we talked about was Oprah wanted to bring together, um, a, a small group of experts. It was a panel of four of us total, including Oprah to discuss, um, obesity. So they were, we were all obesity experts. There was, um, a researcher at NYU. There was a a obesity medicine specialist. There was um, the CEO of Weight Watchers Mm -hmm. and then myself with Oprah. And we discussed obesity. Um, What is obesity? We discussed GLP-1s. We discussed different treatment options. And it was actually really amazing and powerful, the discussion, which I don't think... I think the discussion that everybody has access to is also powerful but being there that day um, there was a 100% audience and it was extremely emotional and and powerful because individuals from the audience asked questions which some of that once again is available in these clips um but a lot of people had said that it was the first time that they heard that they felt heard it was the first time that they yeah. felt seen um you know we talked about the fact that obesity is a disease. It's not about willpower. It's not about you being lazy. And, you know, a lot of people still carry that shame with them. You know, that external shame that has become internal shame of what is wrong with me. Why can't I lose the weight? Why can't I get healthy? I'm doing what you're doing. I'm doing what everybody else is doing. Why am I different? What's wrong with me? And we were able to break that and talk about that and that there's nothing wrong with you, that this is a disease and individuals with obesity struggle because they can't do the calories in calories out, which doesn't work, right? Or they can't yeah. just go to the gym and eat a little bit less and lose weight. Um, So it was, it was a very powerful discussion. And, and I hope that everybody, you know, either mm-hmm. can get access to it or, or see part of it. But of course, besides that, it was amazing to sit yeah. on stage next to Oprah. Um, I actually sat right to her uh right, um which, which was pretty cool. And just an amazing experience. Um, and, and Oprah, I think is a great person to be talking about this because as she said during that conversation, unfortunately, her body weight, shape and size has been the talk, you know for, for years, has been in the front of media, unfortunately, um, but but it's true. And you know that's something that I really like to keep talking about, the fact that we need to get away from talking about body shape, size and appearance mm-hmm. and talk about health right yeah. so it's it's not about our weight as i as i know you know and and hopefully our listeners know that or can take this away um it's not about weight it's not about the number on the scale it's about how we feel it's about you know being healthy and there's so much more to health mm-hmm. than the number on the scale i mean the number on the scale doesn't really tell us anything nice. um other than the number that's it um so so i think it's a great conversation and and one of the first questions I got asked during that conversation was what are we getting wrong when it comes to obesity? And I actually reframed that on stage and said, I'm going to answer this with what we're getting right. Mm
0: -hmm. And the
1: reason I want to bring this up talking to you today is because these conversations is what we're getting right. You and I having this talk is bringing awareness, raising awareness. Oprah's conversation is raising awareness. The whale the first film that has an individual struggling with obesity, that's not being made fun of, you know, like this is a start. We're moving in the right direction. We don't have it. Perfect. We have a long way to go. We all know that. Yeah. But we're doing some things that are right. And I just hope that we can keep doing these, keep having these conversations to continue to raise awareness.
0: A hundred percent. Okay. I want to ask you something about what you just said about the, the question of and i i'm struggling to even phrase this question because i i sort of like already can see multiple answers to it so you have to you have to bear with my my like hyperdrive brain at the moment but something that i was thinking about as you were talking about this is how many of the media narratives about obesity like you brought up the whale perfect example oprah is a great example in many in many ways, you could also say that she was the first person to start talking about it herself with the wagon of fat that she wheeled out, you know, onto her onto her talk show, right? Like there's so many instances that when I think about Oprah, it's not that I think about other people necessarily trying to own her narrative or make fun of her or or tease her or like, it's really more about the fact that she has in many ways made this her brand. And it makes you think like, To what extent is this also happening in so many other places? Now, granted, she is an outlier, right? Because she's a public figure. So most people listening to this are not public figures. Most people that we want to reach just generally in our everyday practices, like (laughs) they're not public figures. So it is an anomaly, but it does speak to something about media, right? Like about how, and then, so I want you to to speak about that, but before I even let you do that, I want to ask a part two of the question, which is also something that we talked about kind of offline, which is like how how the fact that some of the clips that came out about the Oprah talk made it sound like something that it wasn't. And then who is responsible for that? Do you know what I mean? Because even though like, I know from, from knowing you that some of the things that she said, actually, she did not say in like with the, that were kind of completely taken out of context, like, um, Ozempic is the easy way out, right? Like that, that was quoted everywhere. And yet that was just completely not the statement, but even as someone else in almost like, it's like almost like this meta experience of being like as an outsider, but consumer of media and consumer of news media on the topic of obesity, it made me feel like I had to comment on this in a certain way, not because it's what she said, but because it was what everyone else was saying, you know, like it's, it's almost like this echo chamber at scale. So right. I know that's like a lot to throw at you, but <laughs> we'll start with that. You tackle that from wherever you want.
1: Okay. Okay. So I'll start with the second question. Okay, perfect. Um, so what I will say is, and this is the problem with media, yeah, that things are taking out of context, and unfortunately, what most people read are the headlines, mm-hmm. right? So what happened from that conversation? Because I actually don't know. I could be wrong. I I don't recall a clip that just has like Ozempic is the easy way out but i do remember headlines yes. saying that and headlines don't tell the whole story right but right. then what happens is somebody reads that headline and i saw this happen it blew up all over social media <sighs> that somebody read that headline and was like oh what is oprah doing saying this is the easy way out you know so actually what she said and maybe it's in one of the clips maybe it's in the it's definitely in the fall segment but mm-hmm. what she said was that she used to think, like many yeah. other people, that something like bariatric surgery mm-hmm. or taking Ozempic or a GLP one is the easy way out. Now, after the fact, she later mm-hmm. said more recently that, you know, she's now on one of these medications. And, right. you know, and what she had said once again, after the fact, was that this conversation that we had actually influenced, her decision to start those medications because she realized it's not taking the easy way out. She realized that this is a disease. And I hear this all the time, patients are like, I can't go forward with bariatric surgery or I don't wanna go on GLP ones because it is the easy way out, but it's yeah. not. And that's yeah. what she was saying in this conversation that she used to think that until she educated herself more, you know, spoke to experts like us, all of these things but that's the problem with media. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem circling this back to what you and I said at the beginning about consulting. I mean, that's our concern too. I mean, I remember I was interviewed yeah. for a story a few years ago and they totally changed the title. Um, and I was like, I'm not okay with this headline, this title, because that's not at all what we're talking about in the story, but that's what happens. Um, right. So, so yes. And, 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 You know, you're right. She is a public figure. um, And I think if we go back to the first part of your question now, you know, from a psychological perspective, you know, it's interesting because when you were talking about that, I was thinking there are other individuals and maybe they're not public figures. Maybe there are patients, maybe there are other people that, you know, fully embrace um, kind of this idea of, quote, fat right. Or being yeah. a certain weight or in a larger size or a bigger body. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that by all means. Like, I hope that people can accept who they are, but what made me think of that when you talked about like her wheeling out that um, I was thinking, you know, for some people it's a defense mechanism or yes. it's a coping mechanism to actually like almost make fun of yourself right. and, or fully try to embrace and accept where you are. And because you know that other people, unfortunately, might make fun of you or you might be in the public eye, um, it's almost easier to do it yourself first. Yes. Right? To say, like, I've accepted this. I'm laughing about it. Like, laugh with me. I'm not saying that that's what she did or that was, you know, her intention. I'm not saying that that's, that's what everybody does. but. You know, just thinking about it from a psychological perspective, I could see that that would make sense for some individuals that are really struggling. And it's like, okay, this is who I am. I either have to accept it and fully embrace it. And, you know, if other people are going to make fun of me, I might as well make fun of myself. Um, But that's also very unfortunate and sad, right? And that's where like weight bias and weight stigma and shaming and all of this comes in. And that's why, um, you know, I hope there's lots of takeaways out of this conversation, but one key takeaway I want to, I want to point out right now for people is that we just shouldn't comment no. on people's body, okay. weight, shape, size, et cetera. Like stop yeah. it, right. Stop commenting. It's inappropriate. It could be harmful. We don't know why somebody's losing weight. We don't know how they lost weight. We don't know if they're healthy. We don't know if they're unhealthy. We don't know what they're going through. So let's just not assume and not comment. Um, But, you know, so I hope I answered that. There was a lot
0: of questions. (laughs) A thousand percent. You brought up something else though that I I have to ask you about, which is about this. What, what I think a lot of people out there might see as a juxtaposition, although I would imagine we are aligned on our thoughts on this, but I I think there are people out there that think that there is a juxtaposition between body positivity and the rise of GLP ones, your thoughts
1: oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So it's a big one. It's like yes, the rest of yes, the afternoon
0: talking about yes, it. Yes.
1: So I like to think of it more in terms of body neutrality, right? Like yes. I don't fully believe in body positivity, so to say
0: I'm with you.
1: Yeah. And yeah. what I mean by that for, for people that are, that are listening um, is, you know, and and I think I was actually quoted in something about this, um, this exact kind of sentence I'm about to say, but what I often say is, there's not much in life that is totally all or nothing, right? right? Like, there's just not. So why should we put this pressure on ourselves to fully love ourselves and feel amazing about our bodies all the time, right? Yes. Just not realistic. Like, we all wake up some days feeling kind of yucky, you know? Like, it's okay, We don't have to fully love every inch of our body every moment of every day. It's normal to not. So, I think the body positivity movement is a little bit putting this extra pressure on us um, to do that. And I think instead, if we can think of it more in terms of a little grayer area, a little bit less, you know, all or nothing, and focusing more on this body neutrality, meaning I accept my body and maybe I want to change some things. That's okay. I accept my body, but let's think about all the things that it does for me, the functions and things like that. But I think GLP-1s, for people that don't fully understand that obesity is a disease, I think individuals that fully embrace the body positivity movement are struggling with this idea of why would you want to change your body, which really we're not talking about changing our bodies with GOP-1s, we're talking about getting healthy, right? Yeah. So I think this is where it gets really confusing because we have to think of the language that we're using. If we want to call GLP ones weight loss medications, which I don't like to call it that, although just the other day, some an article came out, mm-hmm. you know, that with me on it saying, you know, GOP-1s weight loss medications, I like to consult with companies on getting away from using that term because GOP-1s, are a treatment for obesity Mm. is, are you going to lose weight if you're on them? Yes. It's pretty much a fact, right? But is the, you know, it's not for weight loss. It's for obesity. It's to become healthy. So I think if, you know, and I'm totally for it, like I'm aligned with, if we want to say, you know, if the body positivity movement or individuals that fully embrace that aren't for, things that are promoting weight loss, I actually agree. I'm not for them either. You know, like I I work with my clients to help them get healthy. I say to them all the time, if you want to lose weight, that can be your goal. But we're going to talk about how we can get you healthy. And if your goal is to lose weight by making the behavior changes we're talking about, maybe by seeking other treatment, you probably will lose weight if that's what your body wants to do, needs to do, and is healthy for you. But I like to take the focus off of that. So Mm -hmm. GOP-1s are a treatment for obesity, just like bariatric surgery, just like lifestyle change, right? right? Some people need lifestyle change and something else. So we really need to shift the language we use. And I can't say this enough that we shouldn't be talking about it in terms of weight loss. It's a treatment for obesity,
0: That's such a good point. That's such a good point. And I just want to rephrase it because I want to make sure that our listeners are hearing that also and and that I'm understanding it correctly too. So in other words, by switching the language to a treatment for obesity, we're, we're taking the focus off the behavior of weight loss, which is not actually a behavior. It's a Something that happens. It's it's literally like a change right. of right. It's a exactly. change of atoms in the atmosphere, right? Like it, that's literally a, by, a byproduct of making the lifestyle changes and or requiring having a disease that requires intervention via a medication in addition to lifestyle changes. I think that is so important, and I just feel like just that that shift in language could really help people. Because my first thought when you said that was like, yeah, but like technically weight loss for people with obesity who have other biochemical and physiological factors that are really profoundly affecting health, then weight loss is actually the thing that you're going for. So like, does it really matter? And now, as you say that, I'm like, yes, it totally matters. Like it certainly matters in media, whether or not it matters to an individual patient is really up to them. But like, I think it matters in in the way that it's covered at
1: large. I I agree. And I think that's why it's getting all of this attention is because it is being named or titled as a weight loss drug. And then you're getting individuals that are like, why are you trying to change your body? Why are you trying to lose weight, right? In a potentially unhealthy, I'm not saying it's an unhealthy way, right? but people are getting their, and it's a fact, I'm not, I don't think I'm sharing anything now. People are getting their hands on this medication that don't need it, Right. that aren't truly, you know, indicated for what it's not indicated for. And I think that's where it becomes this slippery slope, you know, and I'll even say, you know, it's interesting because when I got the email about the Oprah segment, of course I told my husband right away and his immediate reaction was, you can't do that. You don't believe in those medications. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm like, that's actually not true. I was like, I don't believe in them for the people that don't need them. Yes. yeah. Right. So I'm <laughs> totally for them, for that. people yeah. that are properly needing them as a treatment. But yeah. when people are getting them and people are getting them that need mm-hmm. to lose or not, I don't want to say need that want to lose yeah. five pounds, 10 pounds before their wedding, before the summer. That's what I disagree with. And that's 000%. why there's a shortage and that's why, you know, a million right. other reasons, but that's the part that I think people are missing. You know, it's, it's not that I just woke, somebody woke up one day and they're like, oh, I want to lose five pounds. I'm going to go on a Zimpeg. you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's not okay. Um, and that's why I think also people are having some really bad side effects because yes. these medications aren't intended for those individuals.
0: That's such a good point. We have to come back to that also. But I, I just have to double down on what you just said about your husband. I feel like the number of people that contacted me about when Weight Watchers made the sequence acquisition, like the number of people that wanted to talk about it and be like, "You must think this is insane. Like this is crazy." And I was like, "I actually, actually this." program was designed for people with obesity it is not actually for people the program itself is really not best suited for people who want to lose 20 pounds unfortunately right because i think they spent a lot of time and including the time that i was there the two years that i was there really trying to reach the people that do that might have benefited from some lifestyle shifts that could potentially manifest in that 20 pound or so or like between exactly. the 20 to 50 pound let's say weight loss range right but unfortunately the program itself the the marketing we can say whatever about but the program itself was actually made was actually designed for people with obesity the evidence based practices that are being used yes. are are looking at studies in obesity. They're not looking at people who are even necessarily overweight, right? Or, or classified by a BMI of overweight. So to me, it was like, this is an actual match made in heaven because you have a medication for the treatment of obesity. And you also have a program that is really best intended for people with obesity. And you'll never hear them say that because they don't want to admit that they were not marketing to you, you know, like, right. and I, and I don't blame them, right. Cause you want as much as many people who want to be, who want to sign up as possible. And their big month is January. And And their whole thing is like getting people to sign up in January. And so January makes or breaks their entire fiscal year. So like the whole idea behind that makes complete sense. But I have to totally agree with you. Like it's not, it's not a disagreement with a medication. As long as something is safe to the best of our knowledge and that we have that tasting that tasting, we have that testing and evidence behind it to be able to back that up. Then it's, I feel like it's it would be crazy not to to kind of share that with people about who specific treatments and interventions are really for.
1: Exactly. And I and I got so many messages similarly to you, like you must yeah. be so upset about this, you know, this is crazy. And I same as you. I'm like, well, actually. Right. You know, and and I think that's what we have to keep remembering that these programs, these medications, you know, same as bariatric surgery. It's not made for somebody that just wants to lose a few pounds. Right. <laughs> and and if people are going to do it in mm. that way, which is not indicated, which is not FDA approved for, then you're probably not gonna have. The best results, and/or have worsening side effects, or have more problems because right. it wasn't studied on somebody like you, right? Right. Like right.
0: that's important Great to remember
1: point. too.
0: Yeah. All right. So let let me let me double click on something else that you've said a few times now that we haven't di- we haven't dived into just yet, but we need to, which is the the topic of obesity is a disease. Now I see dietitians. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a little bit of like a personal pet peeve slash gra in my side. Practitioners everywhere being like, "Obesity is not a disease," and, and that this is like some sort of empowering statement. And I have to really profoundly disagree with that. I I definitively I think at this point disagree. However, I do understand that in some of the context and the way that it's being used, and the way that we have used the word obesity before, that that perhaps there is some truth to to what's being said there, right? So like when you're saying that obesity is not a disease, what you're talking about is perhaps the BMI classification. It's on its own is not the disease, but, I would love to hear your clinical opinion on this and like your sort of rebuttal to when people are like, obesity is not a disease. How do you handle that exactly? Because there's actually multifaceted approaches. And one of them that has been bothering me more and more is that like, I remember from my clinical days is that obesity would be a chronic condition for which we could bill in the hospital, right? Like, so you're so insurance, you can bill insurance for the classification of obesity as a diagnostic code. And that can be very helpful for patients, you know, So like, let's not take that away from people without a little bit more understanding on that.
1: Exactly. So this is an ongoing debate, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And well, actually, it shouldn't be a debate. I mean, obesity yeah. was classified as a disease. I think it was in 2012 or 14. I just yes. lost track, but it, it's been years, right? It's been yeah. at least 10 years now um, the American Medical Association classified obesity to be a disease. So that is not up for a debate, but yeah. many people don't believe it. Um, and, and I get the exact same question. I get the same pushback all the time. Um, actually, at the conference that you and I were both yeah. at, I did a talk on language and the power of language and actually some of the questions that we got was that, you know, like, yeah. like but obesity isn't a disease. So it's interesting because language is very powerful and words matter. And yeah. because of so many people pushing back to this idea of obesity being a disease, actually there's there's an organization, I think it's the, Society of Endocrinology, I want to say, but not uh, not off the top of my head. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually is suggesting that we change the name because there is kind of this negative connotation to this word obesity these days, because what obesity is, is a metabolic disease and it is a chronic recurring disease. And I think that's really mm-hmm. important to keep in mind because that recurring part we might come back to at a later time. Um, but that's why sometimes, or most of the time, if people are getting treatment for obesity, they have to be on a medic on a treatment for the rest of their life or have a treatment for the rest of their life because it is recurring. It is probably going to come back. It is reoccurring. Um, but maybe obesity is not the right word. You know, and I right. think that's where we're at because obesity isn't telling the whole picture, that word. It is a metabolic disease. And for many individuals who have the disease, disease of obesity, they also have these other diseases like sleep apnea, hypertension, mm-hmm. high cholesterol, um, diabetes. Not everybody has all of them, but it is you know this cluster of diseases that individuals have. And I understand why people say obesity isn't a disease because what they're referring to, I would imagine is what you had said about BMI, is they're like, just because somebody's BMI is this, does that mean they have the disease of obesity? And I actually would agree with them in that, that it probably doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. But this is what the medical field does. We have to have a way of classifying, unfortunately, for insurance purposes and all these other purposes. So that's where BMI has come in, in the past. It is not the best way um, to define obesity or to classify individuals. But that's all we have, so to say, right now. Um, but but I agree with that sense that like, just yeah. because if somebody is in a larger body does not mean that they have the disease of obesity. Um, yes. And I think that's where it's really tricky because according to BMI, we're saying yes, because they are at this weight and they have this BMI, they have obesity, but that's not really the most accurate right. and right thing either right yes but it's and that's why time, it's
0: complicated exactly like at the same time i find myself like i and i've had people guests on this podcast who are like who will who will only use the phrase people in a larger body and i'm like i i get it i get it but it's not telling the whole story because right a lot of times a lot of data show us that people in larger bodies do tend to have other cardiometabolic risk factors that make it something that's not to be ignored, right? That, that like, it's not actually, you're right, that it's not just about the size, but perhaps if the size is affecting other cardiometabolic outcomes for a specific patient, then exactly. we're not doing a service as health practitioners to actually help them manage and deal with a chronic disease which is exactly what you said.
1: And and that's what I I would agree with that because I think I wish what we could do was instead of saying okay everybody in a larger body has obesity instead saying everybody in a larger body may be at risk for yes. developing these other conditions and or obesity right yes. because you're right like we can't assume So I I often joke that we don't have post-it notes plastered on our forehead, telling everybody what we're struggling with, telling everybody what our blood results are, right? right? But what we do know is somebody in a larger body may be healthy right now, right? And I mean that like, generally speaking, maybe they don't have high cholesterol, hypertension, all these things, but they are putting themselves at risk of developing those things. And we know that there's science that backs backs that up. There's research that shows that. But do you want to be called a person with obesity or do you want to struggle or like or have that classification? Maybe not. Right. Who wants to be labeled? I get it. Um, But for other individuals, having that diagnosis, having that label allows them to get the treatment that they need and makes them understand that it clicks in the brain. I hear this from my clients all the time. It clicks in the brain. It's not me. I have a disease. Right. Yeah. So I think it's also helpful to some degree to have that diagnosis and to have that label to know that there is nothing wrong with you other than the fact that you have a disease and it has to be treated.
0: Yeah. So well said. I mean, I'm totally with you on that, especially because I think to, to your point earlier about GLP ones and how they've been somewhat stigmatized in a very strange media narrative kind of way is yeah. that it it is true. Like, you can gain weight over the course of your lifetime. And that may be different from being a person who has struggled with the chronic disease that is obesity, right? Like how, and how would you, how would you kind of address that nuance?
1: No, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because I actually have a client who is in that situation. She's been going through menopause. She gained a lot of weight through menopause and really, really has struggled to get it off. Mm -hmm. And she actually came to me Through a doctor who said, I would recommend you start a GLP Mm one, but before you do, I want you to sign up for a gym and get a therapist. And I love this doctor. (laughs) I know I do too. And I was like, Yes, let's do this. Right. We started working together. She started going to the gym she's on the GLP one, she's doing great. She's, you know, not struggling like she was, you know, she was doing lifestyle changes, eating healthy, other things. She wasn't exercising as much before, but the GLP one has now given her, or I like to put it as puts her at that even playing field that now her healthier choices and exercising, she's seeing the changes in her health, because the GLP-1 is working with her and doing yeah. those things. So she didn't or doesn't have the disease of obesity, but really struggled. And that's that's actually something else I said during the Oprah segment. And then I'll say here that if you are struggling, if you think you have the disease of obesity or you don't know or you don't, but you yeah. are struggling to get healthy, whatever that means to you, and you are doing the lifestyle things it is probably time to speak to obviously a dietician and or a behavioral health provider. But you could also speak to an obesity medicine specialist about options, because even if you aren't diagnosed with obesity, if you are struggling and you're doing everything that you feel like is in your control, there's probably something metabolically going on that these treatments could be helpful.
0: I love that you say that too, because I, something that also drives me nuts. <laughs> and again, I see this a lot in the dietetics community and it bugs me is like, and I've said, I've said it too, but I mean it in slightly different context. So I, I'll just clarify that I'm not, I'm not innocent of this, but like, It's like that people that you are meant to and specifically, I would say in many ways, more so than men, women, faceless even more, which is like there are times in your life where you're meant to be at different sizes, like that you may gain and lose a number of pounds and that may put you in a different place. Like, And all of these things can be totally normal sometimes they're not normal and it really depends on the intention and the circumstance and the individuality of what's happening with you. But I think it's very dismissive. Like when I see things online about, about people being like, you're going through menopause, like not even, not even, the the exact words about menopause, but I think menopause right. is a perfect example, which is to be sort of dismissive of people in menopause, which I have not experienced. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I can't actually relate to what it's like to gain weight and feel like it's completely out of your control in such a way. And I think more practitioners need to come to terms with that, right? Like you, yeah. may, not, you may not actually know what it's like to gain weight for a reason that feels completely out of nowhere, totally out of your control. And like you're doing every single thing that you could possibly be doing do take care of your health otherwise. And that you, yeah. this is the situation that you've now found yourself in. So yeah, I do feel like normalizing the idea of these medications, mostly more for people with obesity, right. but also right. for people who may be outliers in that, but still need some, this type of intervention is like something that we both feel really strongly about, you know, cause it just, it's frustrating to see.
1: Right. And I, and I love that point that you brought up because I also do agree. And I think it's important that we mention that and normalize the fact that our bodies are supposed to change as we age, you know, like we are not expected to be the same size, shape, weight as we were when we were in high school. right? Right. So as we get older, naturally our bodies are changing Obviously, hormonal reasons, other reasons. So I don't want people to listen and be like, "Oh, I'm going through menopause. I need those too. You know yeah. that that's not our point here. Right. um and and the individual I was talking about, you know, also gained quite a bit of weight. you know, right, it, it right. wasn't just ten right. pounds that she couldn't lose. Yeah, um so so, you know, to kind of bring that full circle back to that yeah. as well, that you know, we want to take the the focus off of body shape, size, and weight right. and get back to how we feel. And sometimes, if you gain a lot of weight in an unexpected or not in a you know feeling like it's an in your control way, you also don't feel your best. You feel horrible. right, yeah, right. So it's and it's, it's so all related. Psychologically damaging, right. yeah. I was just gonna say, and yeah. that's where the physical and mental health piece right. is so important—that interplay in the mind-body connection—and why it's so important that individuals that are seeking mm. these treatments, I think, to be seeing a therapist or behavioral health provider on a regular basis along with a dietician because those uh-huh. lifestyle changes need to happen but there's also changes that are yes. happening in the process as you are on this journey I mean relationships can change how do nav- navigate social settings can change like there's so many things that could happen that having a really good support system is so so important and that support system i think should include a behavioral health provider and a dietitian, as well as your prescribing physician.
0: 100%. All right. So just to get into the weeds a little bit more on the GLP-1s, something that has come up for me in my work with patients taking these medications is that, and I've I've heard this a lot. I actually heard this a lot on just from polling my Instagram audience, which I thought was its own little fun experiment, but also really gave me so many insights about the way that people are talking about this. And, and particularly people who are on these medications that are, are, are kind of figuring things out. Something that, that strikes me is the idea that in order for some of these medications to be at their most effective, as in health, like, you approaching this medication from a place of wanting to actually tolerate that medication and and in addition to wanting it to work right like there's also the tolerance component which we can get into a little bit more just because of the side effects so it so in order for to limit the side effects having some of these behavioral changes in place before starting the medication seems to be something that overwhelmingly has been helpful for a lot of people. I mean, and I don't, I, I don't know that I necessarily even have that data available for me to like really back this up, but it's something perhaps anecdotally that I keep seeing is like in order for you to be truly successful on a GLP one, then Starting one, starting lifestyle changes, and also perhaps as as this amazing doctor that you <laughs> gave the oh. example of before, that that perhaps working with an inter- interdisciplinary team to some extent, or putting some of these lifestyle changes into place before you start the medication can actually not only help you to, to tolerate the medication, but actually help you be more successful. So how are you seeing this? Does this come up for you? What are your thoughts?
1: I absolutely agree. And it doesn't surprise me. Because right. it takes less. Yeah. And, and I just said this in an interview yesterday, too. Actually, yeah. let's think about bariatric surgery and GLP1s in the same category. Yes. Right? What we're talking about is a treatment option for obesity. Okay. It doesn't matter which treatment option it is. Somebody is going to be more successful if they have already fully embraced right. these lifestyle changes and behavior changes. So I'm a psychologist. Let's just think about it for a moment from a psychological perspective. Right. You s- decide to have bariatric surgery or decide to start a GOP one, that's new, that's different, that's change. Right. Now let's throw in that you have to completely change your lifestyle too. Right. That's overwhelming, it's so not possible. It is not able yeah. to be sustained. Right. What we're pretty much talking about is that's the definition of a diet. Diets right. are <laughs> restrictive. All yeah. of a sudden, this big change that's not sustainable. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: So if we can ideally, start making some small changes ahead of time and start getting used to it and start getting into this new routine, it's going to feel less overwhelming. Now, also when your body is telling you, you can't eat this because maybe you have an adverse reaction to it. Thinking like after bariatric surgery, sometimes there's dumping syndrome, right? Totally. Right. After GLP-1s, you might get nauseous with certain foods. You know, you might just feel nauseous. You might not want certain foods, but if you're still eating all of them and your go-to behavior, your habit is to still eat them, now you're going to have that adverse side effect as well. So if we can start making small changes leading up to starting any of these treatment options, you're going to be in a better place emotionally, mentally, than just doing it all at once. Or learning kind of the hard way, being like, oh, well, now I, quote, shouldn't be eating this because this is happening. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think it's really important and it makes sense. Um, And that's where I think we can kind of look at, you know, lifestyle change, behavior change goes without saying, right? Everybody to get healthy has to make some lifestyle changes and behavior changes. Now, some individuals, that's enough, Right. Some individuals don't need other treatments. But then you have some individuals who need to add. I'm not saying to take away the lifestyle change, Mm -hmm. but add the medication or add the bariatric surgery. Now, we've also seen actually, I have a handful of clients who are post bariatric surgery patients five, 10 years out with weight recurrence because obesity is a recurring disease yeah. and now I've started GLP ones also. So you have lifestyle change, they had surgery and now they're getting medications last GLP ones, but yeah. we don't take away the lifestyle change. You know, it's, it's there. Wait. You're going to be more yeah. successful. You're going to feel better. It is healthier for everybody to be doing certain things. We know that. And that's also helping prevent further illnesses right? We know that eating a healthfully diet, we know that eating certain things in moderation, we know that moving our bodies are healthy regardless of what disease you have or don't have and helping you prevent additional diseases in the future.
0: There are any specifics that we can get into like specific foods or meals or activities or lifestyle changes that you have seen become a more seamless component of starting yeah. a GLP one. So like things that that all of a sudden feel like like going Last. downhill fine. Yes. Once yeah. you started the GLP one.
1: I just had this conversation with a client yesterday and I said the main things that you can do for yourself while you're on a GLP one is to stay hydrated. Mm. Yeah. Um increase your protein. Yeah. And move your body. And Love we've that. actually seen evidence shows that strength training in particular is is even better, um, yeah. you know, than just cardio, which which we know from other evidence and research as well. But strength training is really important when you're going to be losing, perhaps a larger amount of weight. Um, so so that's really important for okay. metabolism and for other reasons as well. But those are the three that that I've seen evidence based, um, you know, that that are really important for individuals that are once again bariatric surgery or GLP ones. Yeah.
0: The thing that I just can't say enough that I've heard both anecdotally, but also makes a lot of sense from the, this, this phrase that I feel like keeps coming up that I actually do want to get your take on, which is like the food noise yep. discussion. Right. I is, is people saying, I finally feel like I don't hate eating vegetables and fruit, like, which is a, <laughs> which is like for a dietitian, like God, like you couldn't say anything more magical to me. Right. Like, which is that, that it finally made these foods seem a little bit more palatable, which is interesting because it's not one that I would have assumed. Like I would have, I would have felt like, like my main kind of takeaway from so much of my looking into this, working with patients is basically like you're putting, you're working with people to, to include more of those protein foods, those like really, lean protein, high quality protein foods. Um, But you're also working with some of the behavioral management related eating patterns, like small, but frequent meals and making sure that you are staying hydrated. That's another really important component that people often overlook, right? Like that there are some of those things that are so, so critical, but this idea of the medication, changing your appetite for certain foods has been really interesting to me. And really we don't have enough research to, to speak to that quite yet. So it really is about hearing and listening to the patients that are telling us how they've responded. I hear this one all the time. That's like, Oh, I just, I don't really like alcohol anymore. Like I stopped drinking alcohol and I'm like, great. Like, you know, if that's something that you want to do, that's great. (laughs) But it's also okay to have as much as, you know, a little bit that you can tolerate a few sips, a small glass. Like I don't want, I just hate the idea of anything inspiring someone to be all or nothing. But what I, what I've seen so far, and I don't want to speak for everyone, obviously, because I can't, but like, it's just the idea of of the GLP ones quieting that idea that it has to be a certain way versus helping people get a little bit more in touch with how they physically feel when they eat.
1: Exactly, and and you said it so beautifully, um, and and that is what we're hearing that it's you know we have a term for this now called food noise, yeah. right? Yes. Um. That that kind of loud voice, that obsessiveness, that thought, you know, the obsessive thoughts about food and eating. Um. And and I'm hearing from all of my clients that they don't have this appetite or craving for certain foods anymore. Um, and for most of my, my patients, I can only speak for, but for most of my patients and what I'm hearing is, you know, like the sweets, the, um, you know, the, the more fattening, greasy kind of foods, um, the alcohol, things like that. And, and I have one client that, you know, she was so in the habit of having sweets after dinner that she would just keep going for it. And yeah. then she would like take a bite and be like, oh, but I don't want this anymore. And she's like, now right. it's just sitting there, you know, but like every night she would almost try again and take another right. bite and be like, no, I don't want this. Right. Um, so it's just kind of like eliminating both the food noise, but also changing kind of the things that people are, have an appetite for or their cravings. Um, and, and great, right? Like it's making yeah. it easier for them to do what they couldn't do on their own, right? Because mo- like, I, I haven't heard of anyone say, I don't like broccoli anymore, right? Or I don't like vegetables anymore. Usually it's it's the sweet things, it's the mm. things that, you know, are higher sugar, higher caloric um foods, and or like, you know, alcohol same, higher sugar, higher caloric. So so we are seeing that. And and it is, I, I think quieting the food noise though in particular is like one of the most, you know, yeah. most popular things we're hearing about. Um and, and amazing, right?
0: Totally. I I want to clarify something though, because it's occurring to me that food noise is something that people who have not struggled with obesity or weight gain of of any type are can also be dealing with, and I feel like we have to distinguish the difference.
1: <laughs> yes, and <laughs> I, I'm glad I, you I said this you know, because like the- I no, I'm glad soap. you yeah, yeah, I'm glad you said this because it was actually a TikTok the other day that I yeah. commented on, um, that said that food noise is just hunger, and it's not. And oh I my think God. it's, no, it's right, not. Right. No, It's right. not. The same and, and I was reading all the comments, and so many people yeah. were writing, you clearly don't ex- you know, this yeah. to this person, you clearly yes. haven't had it to think that it's just hunger. Um, so food noise, right, anybody can have it. Um, I, I would say that if you have it, it's, I mean, I'm gonna classify it as a disordered eating thought yeah. slash behavior, right? Yes. So if you are constantly thinking about obsessing over food, what you're gonna eat, when you're gonna eat it. Um, when the next meal is, you can't get in, you know, like just constant obsession, you know, taking up space in your brain related to food and eating behaviors. That's what we're referring to as food noise. And it's amazing because when the food noise gets quieter, people have more space in their brain and time in their day to do other things. And I remember I was asked a question about this, that if I think if the food noise is quieter, do I think that people can actually do more cognitive work with the CBT therapy in terms of maybe like shifting other things, you know? And I'm like, absolutely. If, if yes. you are not thinking, obsessing over food as much, you have more space in your brain, more energy to focus on other things in your life. You know, and I've heard people say that they can go out and enjoy lasagna. They can go out and enjoy pizza in ways right. that they didn't in the past because it was just consuming them. And now they can eat a little, enjoy it and be done.
0: It's a beautiful thing, right? Like that's yeah. the goal. That's what we want for more people. All right. Yes. Tell me something about jumping once. We we touched on this a little bit before, but I have to ask you in this context now, because I, I feel like we need to just deep dive a little bit more. Are these medications for life And if so, what are your feelings on that? Because I, I know, I I really think you made such a great point about this being a recurring disease, like a chronic condition that you're, you're truly always managing. But at the same time, I think perhaps for some people, there is a goal of coming off these weight loss medications or now, see, now I've gotten in (laughs) the habit of using that phrase, even though I don't love it anymore. Okay. People who want to come off of GLP once, right? Like, What, what is, what, what are your thoughts on this? Like, are these medications for life? Do they have to be medications for life? And, and how do we feel about that? I think, I think something that, and I'll just kind of editorialize this one component here (laughs) is that I think that's something that so many people are struggling with a little bit more in a post COVID era of time, right? Like is how many medications can we possibly be expected to be taking? Right. Like that a lot. And you, you just look at statistics and you're like, God, 75 percent of Americans are are technically overweight or obese, which could mean that they may be struggling with obesity and or weight gain that feels out of their control. Right. Like right. and that therefore there are many people that that would qualify for perhaps for this for this type of intervention. So when you think about it under those terms, you're like, are we really saying that 75 percent of the population could need a medication for life?
1: So um, great question. And I think something to remember is if we're talking about the disease of obesity, it is a chronic recurring disease. Okay. So now I'm going to compare it for a second to hypertension. If somebody has high blood pressure and they're prescribed a hypertension, hypertensive medication, the expectation isn't that you're going to get your hypertension down and you're going to get off of it, right? Like, yes, the expectation is you're going to get your hypertension down because you're on the medication. The medication is yes. doing its job. Can some people eventually get off that medication? Yes. But for the majority of people, they probably have to be on it for the rest of their life, right? Mm-hmm. So now let's take that with obesity. Once again, there's different interventions. There's different levels of intervention. You have the lifestyle change. For some people, that's enough. Some people, you need to add a medication. Now, if you're doing the lifestyle change and you're doing a GLP-1, maybe you get to a healthy, happy weight, as I like to call it. Maybe you maintain that weight. Maybe you start decreasing the dosage. Maybe you see where you're at. Maybe you decide to get off of it. Maybe you can maintain something similar to that weight, okay? Mm-hmm. But because obesity is a chronic recurring disease, we can't make the assumption that you all of a sudden you can just stop taking treatment for your disease. You're not just going to yeah. stop treatment for a disease but does it have to look like what it looks like today for the rest of your life? No. Maybe you change the dosage. Maybe you go down a dosage. Maybe you're on a very small dose. Maybe you eventually get off of it, but maybe eventually you get off of it for six months, a year. I don't know. Maybe then stress happens. Maybe then you regain some weight weight recurrence. Maybe then menopause happens. Maybe then you have to introduce something again. So I think the idea is we don't want to think that you have to be on this for the rest of your life, but we do have to think that you have to manage your obesity for the rest of your life.
0: Mm. Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I also think it's so important to make that distinction just because, you know, even as you're talking, I'm thinking that if I if I were in this position, if this were the current battle that I was up against, right, is something that had to do with cardiometabolic risk factors and including weight in that. Is it, there's something so soothing About the idea that there is treatment out there. Like even just knowing that this exists, I think is hugely impactful beyond, beyond what, you know, so much of, of what we've already talked about and so much of the the things that are out there and the misinformation that's out there from a media standpoint. All right. We need to wrap this up. So here's what I want to know from you. This is our kind of be all end all final question of this podcast, which is what is the most annoying wellness thing that you've seen recently? And I say this with the caveat, that this can mean truly anything ranging from social media, like pet peeves, annoyances. I feel like I see about 45 every single day, <laughs> or it can be something that you see in practice. What is the most annoying BS wellness thing currently in 2024?
1: Oh my God. I have to tell you, when you told me that you were going to ask me this, it is like the hardest question for me. <laughs> really there's is. too many. How do you pick?
0: It's impossible. Right? There's yeah. too many.
1: Yeah. Um. So I'm going to say one that's relevant to this discussion. Although I think there's a lot that, yes. that are annoying and harmful. Um. Well, actually, now that I even said it that way, I even have another one. Um. So <laughs> I, I'm going to bring it back to like the social media trends, the TikTok trends, yeah, because I think they're really, really dangerous um and yeah. harmful. And 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 it and it just goes to kind of expands into some other discussions that I've had with other people, is that you don't know who you're getting advice from and who the who's recommending these things. And it's and it's like the eat what I eat in a day videos, right? Oh, like God, you yeah. don't know what everybody's going through. You don't have their medical history and their medical chart. Um, And with that being said, it brings up what I deal with, with a lot of my clients, which is the comparison, right? So my clients go online, which we all do and start comparing and are like, well, if she's doing this and lost this amount of weight or looks like this, I can do it. But then what's wrong with me? Because I can't do it. Right. Or I can't look like that. So I think TikTok trends, social media trends, diet trends are extremely dangerous and harmful and annoying um, because then we have to kind of remind people, don't get your medical advice from TikTok, right? Don't get your medical advice from social media platforms. Don't get it from influencers. Don't get it from anybody that doesn't know you and your medical history and what you're going through because we are all unique individuals with unique needs. Now, we're not going to like social media is not going anywhere. We know that. So what can we do about it? I think for everybody that's listening, you can try your best to remember this. Use self-talk and remind yourself that you are not this person. We also only see highlights right? We don't know what everybody's going through. We don't know what they're struggling with. The what I eat in a day videos are probably not true. I mean, I know you can speak more on this than I can, but like Mm -hmm. who's really eating that, right? And every day um, it's curated. It looks perfect. It looks pretty. Um, So I would say relevant to this conversation, that's what I'm going to say, but I have a whole long list of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Dr. Rachel, you are the best. I cannot thank you enough for being here. I feel like we could talk for 8,000 more years and we probably will. So you'll have to come back. That's all there is to it. So in the meantime, will you just tell our listeners where they can find you and learn more about your work?
1: Yes, and thank you so much. Um, so I'm on social media as Dr. Rachel NYC. My website is DrRachelNYC.com. Um, There's lots of ways to reach out to me that way. I like to just remind people that social media is not therapy, but I'm more than happy to connect, answer questions, provide resources, and point people in the right direction.
0: I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap
1: today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.